I, I, want you, I want you to remain standing. Everybody stand up for just a moment. That's about, I'm going to be honest, he's alive. That's about the week. Hey, let's let it go. Give it up for the Lord. Let's, uh, let's pretend we're Pentecostal charismatics today, okay? Let's give it up for the Lord one more time. Amen. You can be seated. And let me begin by saying a word. If, if any day ought to teach us two things, today's the day. There's only one race. It's the human race. That's the only race there is. And because of today, I believe in amazing grace for every race. So I just want to say on this Easter Sunday, to those who are here today, to those who are watching online on this beautiful Easter Sunday, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't know what happened, I had a little minor shoulder surgery about, uh, actually, Teresa hit me, but just a joke. But I had a little minor shoulder surgery, and I'm doing great, and I'm not in any pain, and I'm glad you're here, and I'm ready to go. So let me begin by telling you something you already know. Our, our whole life was changed about a year or so ago on Tuesday, December the 31st, 2019, when something got released into the world and it hasn't been eliminated yet. It's known as the coronavirus. And as I wrote these words a few weeks ago, two and a half million people died from this virus. It hit us, never worked. We weren't looking for it. We didn't think it would ever be anything like this ever. We're doing everything now we can to negate and eliminate its power, and one day we hope we'll do both. But 2,000 years ago, there was another power that was unleashed, and its power can never be negated, can never be eliminated. And it's actually an event that uh, causes 2.5 billion people today to stop everything they're doing around the world and they celebrate this day like no other day of the year. It's actually one of the things that makes Christianity so unique to every other religion and every other faith movement in history. Because here's the truth. We as Christians, the Christian faith, traces its origin all the way back to one particular event that happened in one day in history. Every other religion in the world, name it, Buddhism, Islam. Hinduism, Judaism, they don't do this. But because of one single event in one single day when this power was unleashed, on one day there was no such thing as a church. And on the next day there was because of this one singular event. Now, to fully appreciate that day, you got to go back to an event that actually took place two days earlier. It was a commonplace event back in that day because actually it happened 30,000 times. Because the Roman Empire, the way they, they, they handled criminals and the way they handled murderers and the way they handled anyone who was not a Roman citizen that did something worthy of death, they crucified them. So on this Good Friday, there was a crucifixion. Been done many times before, been done many times since. Except on that particular day, there was nothing good about it to those first Christians because that was the day that a king called Herod and a ruler called Pontius Pilate, and religious groups known as Sadducees and Pharisees, and the most powerful army in the world, the soldiers of the Roman Empire, that was the day they thought, we finally got rid of this guy. We have finally eliminated the greatest threat to our power, our influence, our position that's ever come in our entire lifetime. We crucified this Jesus of Nazareth, 
And now we've got rid of him and we can go back to doing business as usual. Eleven men called disciples who spent every day of their life for three years with him. And even his mother Mary, who all thought at one time, you've got to be the Messiah. You've got to be the Son of God. You've got to be the one that we are waiting for. The disciples, even his own mom thought, he's dead. He's gone. We've wasted three years of our life for absolutely nothing. And when they went to bed on that Friday night, they mourned not just the death of Jesus. It was worse than that. It was the death of a hope. It was the death of a dream. It was the death of a vision. It was the death of he's finally come. The one they talked about in the Old Testament, the king that's going to make everything right, the king that's going to set this world where it ought to be, he is gone. At least that's what they thought. And then in a book I invite you to turn to called Luke, the Gospel of Luke, this physician, he was a doctor. He was also a forensic historian. He had done his homework. He had studied everything he could find about this man named Jesus. He had interviewed eyewitnesses. He had talked to these disciples. And he wrote this book called Luke, and and we read this in Luke 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. If you ever read your Bible, let me tell you a word Always stop when you read this word, because it's a big word. It's the word, but. It is absolutely one of my favorite words in the Bible, but. In spite of all that the rulers and the soldiers and the religious leaders and the greatest military on earth in the world really thought they did, even the devil himself thought, we have finally done it. The cross was not the end. God wasn't done. Because you see, in every conversation, in every dialogue, God always has the last word. He always will. He always has. And he always does. So here's what happened. We're going to go back 2,000 years. It's Sunday morning. Some women come to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body with spices. That was a Jewish custom. You know, today, people take flowers to a grave. They didn't take flowers to a grave back in that day. They took spices. But they wouldn't eat spices that day because even though they found the tomb, they didn't find the body. And the reason they didn't find the body is why we're here today. Again, it's why two and a half billion people all over the world stop everything they're doing this Sunday, which is like no other Sunday. And here's why we do it. Because since the first man was created, everybody's had this big question. Because once you realize and you don't know it when you, you don't even think about it when you're born, obviously. You don't think about it when you're a kid. But there comes that day, and it may happen because your dad died, your mom died, your brother died, your sister died, but somebody died close to you. And all of a sudden, it hits you like a ton of bricks. I'm going to die. One of these days, I'm on a dead end street that's going to end right into death. And so the question comes, the big question, is there life after death? I want to say something to you. Before you decide what your answer to that question is going to be, you don't have a choice. You've got to talk about this Sunday morning. You've got to talk about this day 
This has got to enter into the conversation. So as we go back today and we look at what happened or what we believe happened on that day 2,000 years ago, you're going to see three possible responses to the resurrection. And the first one is actually the most common, and it should be expected. So one way to respond to the resurrection is this, and I want to be honest. It is natural to be perplexed by the resurrection. If you're, if you're watching this morning or you're here today and you're, you just came because you're invited, it's Easter Sunday, it's the thing you do, but you're just into the Jesus thing. That's just not your gig. He's just not your guy. You're just not real pumped up. You just don't really care whether he was raised from the dead or not. As a matter of fact, one reason maybe you're not, you, you don't believe it is because you just say, look, I've seen a lot of people, dead people die. Every dead person I've ever known never came back. He didn't either. Let me just cut you some slack. It's natural to be perplexed by the resurrection. As a matter of fact, Luke begins the story the way you would have expected back in that day. So on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they'd prepared and they went to the tomb. Now that's exactly what you would expected because the main reason that they were going to that tomb to anoint the body with spices was to control the smell of decomposition. You see, Jews did not embalm the bodies. So whenever a body was buried and the body began to decay and the smell of death would begin to rise, they would they would bathe that body with spices to kind of hide that smell of death. Well, the reason why they waited till Sunday because Jesus died on the Sabbath day and you couldn't work on the Sabbath day. So where they normally would have anointed the body immediately, they had to wait. So Sunday morning came, now they can go. They go to anoint the body uh, with, with spices because they've rested on the Sabbath day and they get to, to the tomb and they're gonna do their deal. They're gonna do exactly what they ought to do. Now, by the way, let me stop right there. That tells us something right off the bat. These women did not expect to find an empty tomb. They went there looking for a dead Jesus, not a resurrected body. But they were in for quite a shock. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. When you take flowers to a cemetery, you don't expect to see an empty grave. And if you happen to come on an empty grave, it certainly would never occur to you that that person had risen from the dead. By the way, this explains why Mary, the mother of Jesus, and those 11 men, it tells you why they weren't camped out overnight waiting for that tomb to be rolled away because they weren't expecting it. They weren't looking for it. They really didn't believe it. Because back in that day, Jews, Greeks, Romans, none of them thought that the literal bodily resurrection of an individual was possible. As a matter of fact, here's what ancient people believed. If you, if you were back 2,000 years ago and you happened to meet a Roman or a Greek on the street and you said, what do you believe about salvation? Here's what they thought you meant. They thought salvation was the liberation of the soul from the body. As a matter of fact, Greeks believed that anything that was physical, including the body, was dirty. It was the source of all evil. So Greeks didn't even want a resurrected body. Greeks would have said to you, why do you want this dirty, decaying, dying body to come back to life all over again? They couldn't even understand. Why would any God do anything like that? Now, there were some Jews who believed, well, yeah, we believe at the end of time, there's going to be kind of this general resurrection of all the righteous people, but nobody, not the Jew, not the Greek, not the Roman. Nobody believed that right in the middle of history, right in the middle when, you know, when it's five o'clock somewhere, that a body would come back from the dead. The possibility that that tomb would be empty. The possibility 
that Jesus would be alive, it never, ever even entered into their minds. And what happened next raised their spiritual adrenaline to record levels. While they were perplexed, I told you it's natural. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? The women were perplexed. That's an extremely strong word in the Greek language. The word literally means to be completely baffled, to be totally confused, to not know what to think, to not know where to turn. In other words, when those ladies got to that tomb, and as soon as they could see the light, and as soon as they saw that, that stone had been rolled away, I mean, their heads were spinning. I mean, they're looking at each other, going, what in the world is going on? And, and just let me just stop and say this. I mean, let's all be honest. I'm going to be very honest with you. I'm a preacher, and I believe this stuff. But I'm going to be very honest. I understand why to a lot of people this whole story appears to be mythical. I understand why people would say, you, you, you really don't believe this, right? I mean, you got a PhD. This is the 21st century. You really, really believe this story? Because let's be honest. Let's just tell it like it is. When you read the story, you got angels sitting on rocks talking to people. Let me just stop right there. Did you know you got angels sitting on rocks? Okay, that sounds like too much Mexican on Saturday night. You got angels sitting on rocks talking to people. You've got burial clothes folded up just like they returned from the laundromat, laying neatly in the grave. You've got these cracked Roman soldiers, the equivalent of Navy SEALs, scared still saying, we saw angels roll away the stone. And then you've got an empty tomb with nobody in it. Now you tell me, do you really expect after all of that you're going to see Jesus and sneakers doing a morning jog going through the garden? I mean, seriously, you say, boy, that um, sounds pretty far-fetched. It does. But let's get one fact settled today. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're a believer or not, whether you ever become a believer or not, let's get one fact. There's one fact that we know is a fact. The fact is no one denies the tomb was empty. There's not a scholar in the world that denies that. Nobody has to think about this. Nobody has ever denied the tomb was empty. Not then, not now. The Roman soldiers, they knew the tomb was empty or else they would have still been guarding the tomb. The Jewish leaders knew that the tomb was empty or they would have paid people to make up a story and said the disciples stole it. The disciples knew that the tomb was empty. The women knew the tomb was empty or they would have never gone back and reported it to the disciples. So the coup de grace is there's no other way to explain how the resurrection of Jesus was first preached in Jerusalem. Because think about this. If I'm going to make up a story, if I was a follower of Jesus, I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to make, make this story up that Jesus raised the dead. The last place I would preach that morning, that day, would be Jerusalem. Why? Because all you had to do is go to the tomb, pull the body out, and boom, we're done. I might have gone to Greece, I might have gone to Ephesus, I might have gone to Thessalonica, I might have gone to Rome, I'd have gotten far away. The last place you'd preach the resurrection was in the city where it took place. So now we all have to face the same questions. You're now, here's who we are right now. We're those women. We're standing before that empty tomb. So let me ask you a question. What happened? 
Who moved the stone? Where'd the body go? And here's the big one. Why does it even matter? That's what people ask, well, what if it's true? Why does it even matter? Well, the answers to every one of those questions comes in the next possible response. Yes, it's natural to be perplexed by the resurrection. However, I believe it's necessary to be persuaded by the resurrection. I do. I believe it's necessary to be persuaded by the resurrection. Now, keep in mind, almost universally, everyone who's ever studied biblical history agrees. I don't know if anybody doesn't deny this, that denies this. The tomb was empty. Whatever else you want to believe, I don't believe he was born of a virgin. Okay. I don't believe he lived a perfect life. All right. I do not believe that he, he, he walked on water. I do not believe he fed 5,000 people loaves and bread. I don't believe he raised anybody from the dead. Okay. But I know one thing. That tomb was empty. I, I believe that. I believe he was crucified. And I believe the tomb was empty. Even people who deny the gospel stories believe, yep, it was empty. Because the resurrection would still be an empty rumor if the tomb was not empty. You wouldn't be here today if the tomb was not empty. I wouldn't be here today if the tomb was not empty. So we've got to ask the question, but what became of it? What happened to the body? Now, here's where most people are today. It's kind of fascinating to me. Many people say, well, I don't know what happened to the body. I just don't believe it was raised from the dead. I don't know what happened. I just don't believe it was raised from the dead. In fact, the majority of the world doesn't believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead because even though two and a half billion people celebrate Easter, four and a half billion people don't. So the majority of the world says, I don't know what happened to the body. I'm not sure, but I'll tell you this. It wasn't raised from the dead. That's okay. They didn't believe in Peter's day. They don't believe today, and many people will not believe tomorrow. But here's what I want to tell you. I am absolutely convinced, absolutely convinced of this. I am convinced that the people who do not believe the resurrection, who rejected the resurrection, the vast majority have never carefully researched the evidence. Because the truth of the matter is, you simply, there's no way you can bypass the subject of Jesus' resurrection. You've got to answer this question. Why was the tomb empty? You may say, well, I don't have to answer that question. Well, you just did. Oh, you do have to answer the question. You can't dodge it. You can't sit on the fence. You can't ignore it. You've got to ask, why was the tomb empty? Let me tell you why. Because in the war that's going on right now, and there's a big war going on in America, if you don't know about it, let me, let me kind of help you here. There's a war going on right now in America. It's the biggest battle we've got. It's not Democrats versus Republicans. It's not liberalism versus conservatism. The real battle going on in America, ladies and gentlemen, is what is true and what is not. What is true and what is not? What should you believe and what should you not believe? And nothing outweighs the battle that's been going on for 2,000 years over this small plot of real estate close to downtown Jerusalem where Christians believe that death moved in the back door on Friday night, but life came out the front door on Sunday morning. That's the battle. That's where it all comes down to. So these perplexed women are looking for answers. So they're thinking, what happened to the body? Where did the body go? Well, here's the interesting thing. Before they get an answer to the question, they get asked a question. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. Why did they do that? Because they know they're not talking to ordinary guys. These, these are angels. These are angelic beings. But the men said to them, and they just asked a very simple question, why do you look for the living among the dead? I mean, 
These are not just run-of-the-mill witnesses, you know, just crawl off the street. These are angels. They're, they're heavenly witnesses. And these women, they're, they're all ears. They ask, a very, they ask them a very blunt, accusing question. In effect, it wasn't rude, but it was blunt. They got in their face. They were really challenging them. They were saying, wait a minute. Why did you bring those spices? Why did you come to anoint a dead Jesus when you should have been looking for a risen Lord? By the way, just, just for those that still doubt it, if you're looking for Elvis, he has left the building. He is dead. I've been to Graceland. I was there with Elvis Presley's stepbrother. I was allowed to go to places you will never be able to see. I went all through that mansion. But the last place I went, I went to this beautiful mausoleum. It had brass, bronze, marble, a flame that was burning, and I saw the vault. He is dead. And that is exactly where you will find every other religious leader and every other faith builder who's, I mean, the, the, the religions of the world are filled with them. As a matter of fact, take the four major world religions. For example, take, um, take uh, Judaism. Judaism says their founder was Abraham. Well, he died about 1900 B.C. at a ripe old age, and he's buried. He's still dead. Take Buddhism. Founded by Buddha. According to their own literature, here's what they say. When Buddha died, it was with that other passing away, which nothing whatever remains behind. You will never find one follower of Buddha who has ever said, I saw him alive. Still dead. You take Islam. Founded the teachings and the prophecies of Muhammad. He died in 632 A.D., 61 years of age. He's buried at Medina. Millions of people, millions of Muslims visit his tomb every single year. His body is still dead. But then you look for the founder of Christianity and you look for him among the dead, you're never going to find him. You're wasting your time. Well, why can't you find him? Well, here's what they said. He is not here. He's risen. The greatest single statement in the history of this planet. He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Now look, we don't have the time or the space to enter into all the evidence for the resurrection. But I want to say something that may offend some of you. If it does, you apologize, I'll forgive you. If it offends you, you're watching, don't just save your emails. I want to say this very dogmatically. For whatever the reason, or no reason, you can choose not to believe in the resurrection. But I want to tell you what I believe all of my heart. I am absolutely convinced of this. I am convinced that the majority of people are motivated not to believe in the resurrection. I am convinced the majority of people don't want to believe. It's not that they can't believe. It's not that it's too far-fetched. It's not that there's not enough evidence. I'm convinced the majority of people don't believe in the resurrection. They don't want to believe in the resurrection. So why do you say that? Because the moment you accept and the moment you proclaim and the moment you believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, here's what you just said. 
Every other religion in the world is a false religion. Every other God in the world is a false God. Every other faith in the world is a false faith. But it's worse than that. Then you've got to say, and you know what? I've got to surrender my life to him. I can't just believe he was raised from the dead. If he was raised from the dead, he's not just a resurrected body. He is king of kings. He's Lord of lords. He deserves my life. He desires my life. He demands my life. And I'll be honest. There are a lot of people that don't believe in the resurrection because they don't want to believe in the resurrection because they understand what it means. You think about it. If you're a judge, I want you to imagine you're a judge. If a case comes before you and it's, and it's dealing with a company that, you've, that you're a stock owner in, right? All right, somebody tell me. If you're the judge and the case comes before you and, and, and you own stock in that company, right? What do you have to do as the judge? Somebody tell me. You got to recuse yourself, right? You, you can't judge that case. Well, why? Because you've got a stock in it. You've got stake in it. Think about this. Many people have the same issue with Christianity and the resurrected Jesus. Here's why. Because if you're one of those people right now that don't believe in Jesus, you've never trusted Christ, you don't believe in the resurrected Lord, or you've never accepted him, you know what you're doing right now? You're living your own life. You're calling your own shots. You do whatever you want to do, wherever you want to do it, whatever you don't want to do it. You don't answer to anybody. So you've got a vested interest because you know, wait a minute. If I believe what you believe, I don't call my own shots anymore. I can't sleep around anymore. I can't do pornography anymore. I can't lie. I can't cheat. I can't steal. I can't go off on drinking binges. I can't do drugs. I can't go where I want to go and do what I want to do anymore. And so you kind of choose to say, you know, I think I'll just recuse yourself. But before you do, you've got to look at the evidence. And when you do, I believe it's necessary to believe in the resurrection. Now, let me talk to you for a moment. I've kind of come pretty hard on those of you who don't. And I do it because I love you. But you're one of those you say, wait a minute. <laughs> We're here. I believe in the resurrection. Do I have to persuade me? Man, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a satisfied customer. If that's true, then you have a third response that must be true of you. It is normal to be proclaiming the resurrection. It is normal to be proclaiming the resurrection. It's natural to be perplexed. It's necessary to be persuaded. But once you are persuaded, if you really, you really believe this stuff, I believe it then it's normal to proclaim the resurrection. Now look, I hope it's all starting together, come together like it did for these women. Remember, they go to the tomb, it's still dark, but now they're standing in the bright light of the sun physically, but also the light comes on. And mentally, they get it. Emotionally, they get it. Spiritually, they get it. And they're looking back at all the works that Jesus did. And they're looking back at all the things that Jesus said. The angel said, didn't he tell you he would do it? And as you're going to see in just a moment, a little bit later in the day, two of these women are going to take a walk with Jesus. They're going to see him with their own eyes. So now all of a sudden, they believe the works that he did. They believe the words that he said. And now they believe who he 
was. So that's where we are. But look what happened next. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. What did they begin to do? They began to tell their story. All right, you ready? Wait for it. True or false? Did anybody tell them to go tell their story? True or false? False. Nobody told them to go tell anything. Did anybody train them on how to tell their story? True or false? False. Nobody told them to do it. Nobody taught them to do it. Nobody trained them to do it. Nobody twisted their arms to do it. It was just normal. I mean, it, they, they, it wasn't even a second thought. The first thing they thought to themselves was, we got to tell somebody. We got to share this with somebody. This is too good to keep to ourselves. So, I've not tried to offend you unbelievers. If I have, seriously, I'm sorry. But I am going to try to take a shot at defending some of you believers, if that's okay. It's not, I'm going to do it anyway. You claim to be a follower of Jesus. Yes, I do. You claim to believe in the resurrected Lord. Yes, I do. You say you believe that Jesus is alive and risen from the dead. Yes, I do. Now, I'm going to tell you something's going to shock you. You don't have to share that with anybody. But if you say, if what you told me is true, you want to share it with everybody. You can't wait to share it with everybody. You have a joy in your heart, a fire in your heart to share it with everybody. Because if you believe in the resurrection like I do, and you've been blessed by the resurrection like I have, you will have a burden to share the resurrection. And by the way, church, and I'm talking to everybody here, we better get busy sharing the resurrection. And let me tell you why. 35 million youth raised in Christian families are projected to disaffiliate from Christianity by the year 2050. 35 million of your kids are going to leave your house. They're going to graduate from high school. And they're not just going to say bye-bye to you. They're going to say bye-bye to church. And they're going to say bye-bye to Christianity. We better get busy sharing the resurrection. Christianity in America will make up just 59% of the country's population by 2050 compared to 73% today. We better get busy sharing the resurrection. If trends continue, as many as 42 million people raised in Christians' homes will leave Christianity by 2050. And then... We're facing the largest and fastest numerical shift in religious affiliation in the history of this country. For the first time since we've been taking a survey, for the very first time, the majority of people in America now say they do not attend or they are a member of any church, any religious faith, anywhere for the first time. So, here's what I'm going to tell you. And if the shoe fits, wear it. 
You throw a rock in the pack of dogs, the one that barks is the one that gets hit. It's time for many of us to roll the stone away that's been covering the opening of our, mo- of, uh, opening of our mouth about the gospel of a resurrected Jesus We ought to be heard in every neighborhood and every nation. And I want you to understand why the gospel is not just important. I want you to understand why the gospel is so relevant and it's so practical. You see, too many people think the resurrection of Jesus was just all about one dead body coming out of one grave on one Sunday. It's a lot more than that. It's not just about Jesus being raised physically from the dead. It's how we can be raised spiritually from the dead. When the angel said, he's not here, he's risen. That word for risen is in the passive tense. What he literally said was, oh, he's not here. He was raised. You understand now, right? Jesus did not raise himself. God the Father raised him from the dead. Now, here's the good news. You ready? The same God that raised Jesus physically from the dead can raise your soul spiritually from the dead. That God can change you from the inside out. I mean, in the bleak of an eye. I've seen it happen. He can make cruel people kind, selfish people generous, immoral people pure, sour people sweet, lost people saved, dead people alive. Because being a Christian is not just turning over a new leaf. It is receiving a new life. So to put it plainly and simply, the same God who raised Jesus from physical death can raise us from spiritual death, and we know he can raise us because he raised him. Salvation is not just that, oh, we can be forgiven of our sin. But because he was raised from the dead physically one day, we will be raised from the dead physically one day because the cross is not the end. was never meant to be the end. Death is not the end. So I want to close with this. I was listening to a podcast yesterday about uh, by a, a, a brilliant Ph.D. who's written a book that uh, if, if you're interested, you ought to get it reasonably, Stephen Meyer. And it's a, whole, it's, it's a book about why, if you just look at the evidence of the universe, you have to believe in God. It's, it's not just an anti-evolutionary book. It's kind of a pro-God book. And he was talking about the new atheists. That have kind of, they came in about 15 years ago. Four very prominent people. You've heard of some of them. Christopher Hitchin, who's now dead. Daniel Dennett, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris. They've been called the four horsemen of atheism. Well, Sam Harris, one of these atheists, wrote these words because he recognized that atheism along with every other religion and faith-based belief in the world and Christianity, they all compete on the same playing field for, for, you know, for what's true. And I really appreciate what this atheist said. I'd love to see him and hug his neck and shake his hand because he absolutely told the truth. Listen to what he said. We're finished. Let's be honest with ourselves. In the fullness of time, one side is really going to win this argument. And the other side is really going to lose. I agree. He is dead right. So here's the deal, and here's the choice. Let's just say I was wrong. As a nine-year-old boy, sitting in a movie theater 30 miles from here, and I decide I'm going to give my life 
to somebody I've never seen. Mike, I'm going to give my life to somebody I've never even heard speak out loud. I'm going to surrender my life to a man. I don't even know what the guy looked like. But as a nine-year-old boy, I decided, I'm giving my life to you. I'm surrendering everything I am to everything that you are. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me. I believe God raised you from the dead. I believe you are alive right now. And I don't understand all that I'm about to do, but I know one thing. If you'll take me, I'm giving myself to you. And he took me. Let's suppose I'm wrong. I die, you die. It was all a myth. It was all a fairy tale. Wasn't real. Never happened. Wasn't true. I defy you to tell me one thing. Tell me what I lost. Just tell, can you just tell me one thing I've lost? And I lost nothing. But I am telling you, on the authority of the Word of God, and an empty tomb. If you reject Jesus and you're wrong, you lose everything and you lose it forever. So be careful, my friend, how you choose. Be careful, my friend, when you choose because somebody's really going to win this argument and somebody's really going to lose this argument. I've decided I'm going with the one who is alive. Would you pray with me right now with heads bowed and eyes closed? I'm going to ask some of you in this room and many of you watching right now a question. What are you going to do with Jesus? The tomb was empty. No doubt about that. What are you going to do with that empty tomb? You say, well, I'm going to just go my life, live my life, go my way. I'm just going to ignore it. Well, you can ignore it now, but you can't ignore it forever. You're either going to win that argument or lose it. And this is my prayer right now. If God's doing in your heart what he did in my heart as a nine-year-old boy, if in your heart you hear it and you think, what is happening to me? I'll tell you what's happening to you. God, the Holy Spirit, speaking to you right now. You feel this weight. You say, you know, I know you're right, Pastor. I know this is true. I know that I need Christ and I'm tired of running from Christ. I'm tired of living my own life. What a greater day to give your life to Jesus than Easter Sunday. And if today you want to make the greatest decision of your life, if today you would like to say in your heart, He was not there. He was risen. And I want Him in my heart. Would you just tell Him that right now? Can I just help you do it? Would you just right now make this decision? If you're ready to make this decision, would you just say it something like this? I'll make it so easy. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. I believe that you're alive right now. I'm asking you today to come into my heart. I am trusting you as my Savior. I am receiving you as my Lord. I repent and turn away from the way I've been living, my old way of life. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I receive your free gift of eternal life. And I thank you for hearing my prayer. Boys, girls, 
teenagers, men, women, singles and married, Democrat, Republican, independent. Did you pray that prayer just then? Yes, Pastor, I did. Did you mean it? I meant it with all my heart. All right, I'm talking to you right now, and I'm talking to you who are listening on the Internet, by computer, watching on TV, whatever. Here's what I want you to do right now. If you prayed that prayer and you received Christ as your Lord and Savior and you did that today, just now, I want you to go on your iPad or your your phone or whatever. You can do it right now sitting in this room. Here's what I want you to do. You can either go to crosspointchurch.com slash decision or just text Jesus, lower caps, to 678-255-2566. That's simple. Crosspointchurch.com slash decision. Text Jesus 678-255-2566. Do it right now. Do it while I'm talking to you. Do it while I'm talking to you right now. You're listening. Do it right now. Here's what will happen. You'll simply go to a website, and it's going to tell you the steps you need to take now to become a real, true, full-fledged follower of Jesus. If you're in the room today and you'd like to let us know physically you made that decision or you'd like to talk to someone about your decision, when you leave the building, when you go out to our lobby, there's a place called Connection Point. You can't miss a table. can't miss it. Just simply go to those people and say, hey, I just want you to know I gave my life to Christ today. Now, the first thing that God wants you to do, the first thing Jesus demands that you do once you become a believer is to be baptized. You know what's kind of interesting? Do you know the only physical thing Jesus ever asked you to do for him? He died for us physically. You know what he asked us to do? The only one thing, be baptized. You know why? He wants you to show people. He wants you to share with people you've been baptized. When I got saved, I got saved on a Friday night. I got baptized Sunday night. I couldn't wait to let people know in my church that James Gregory Merritt, that little nine-year-old kid, had given his life to Christ. That's why these people were baptized. I'm going to encourage you to say, yes, I'd like to follow Christ in baptism. Again, you just text that prompt on the screen, or, or, or if you're here, you can go out to the lobby and say, hey, I'd like to follow Christ in baptism. Even better yet, in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing one last song, and we'll be finished. We felt like we ought to offer people on the Easter Sunday a chance to be baptized today. There may be some of you here today, you say, you mean I could do that today? I wish I could have been baptized on Easter Sunday. What a day to be baptized. So in just a moment, we're going to stand to our feet. We're going to begin to sing. And when we do, so I'm going to ask you to do. It's real easy. Out to our left, to the lobby, there's a man right there. Just wave your hand back there. These two men right here. When we stand to our feet, I'm going to ask you to do something. If you trusted Christ, but you've never been baptized, or you trusted Jesus today, and you want to be baptized today, that's the way to do it, really, in the New Testament. I'm going to ask you, when we stand to our feet, just to make your way over to the left-hand side. If you're on this side, it's easy. If you're on the right side, you can go out those doors and around or go to the back of the, back of the room and go around. I'm going to ask you in a moment to get up out of your seat and go and say, you know what? Easter Sunday, you mean I can be baptized? Absolutely. By the way, we got everything ready. We got shorts. We got shirts. We got robes. We got everything you need. Hair dryers, you got it. We even have deodorant. You could be baptized today. I'm telling you right now, if I'd heard this message, and yeah, I'd been saved and just got saved, and I knew I could be baptized today on Easter Sunday, I'd absolutely do it. We're ready to do it today. Well, somebody came with me, I promise you, they'll be glad to wait. It won't take long. So when we stand to our feet in just a moment, we begin to sing. As we stand, I'm going to ask you to go just to the left. Just, man, I want to be baptized. If you're, if you're a, 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 you know, a kid or a teenager, say, let your mom dad, tell your mom dad, they'll come with you. We'd love to see you baptized after this. Awesome. But all the rest of us, 
You're a believer? Yep. You believe the resurrection? Yep. You've got Christ in your heart? Yep. Are you going to keep a tomb? Are you going to keep that rock over the tomb of your mouth for the rest of your life? I'm begging you, roll that stone away. Let that risen Lord out and tell people that need to hear it that Jesus is alive. Would you stand to your feet right now? We're going to get ready to sing this last worship song as our worship team comes. And as you stand to your feet, I'm going to have a breath of prayer. They're going to begin to sing. And as they begin to sing, if you want to follow Christ in baptism today, so man, I'm, I, that's what I want to do. I'd love to do it. If you'll just make your way over to the left of these men, they're going to wait on you. We've got encouragers outside. We'll get your name information. We'll take you up. We'll get you ready to be baptized. It'll be the greatest day of your life. Father, in the name of Jesus, honor your word. Don't let it return void. Let it accomplish what you please. And Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Not that you came, not just that you died, but you came back from the grave that we might be saved. We bless you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.